The Screen Directors Guild of Ireland presents the first episode of Wash Your Eyes on Thursday, June 4th, The Hero's Journey, with Malcolm Campbell and Dervla Walsh, facilitated by Stephen Benedict. Oh, they weren't available, but I've probably for one of the first times was quite persistent, and I kind of said, I said, can I meet Ed? Can I tell him how I would do it at least? And and I think they were just so polite they had to say yes. Mm-hmm. And and then I did a, an outline for it and um, I think it was convincing enough to let them, you know, to start the development process. Around that time, Lenny Abramson, you know, he'd read the book, he was interested. Um, and so we got together and we started talking about it. Um, right. And that's how it evolved. But, you know. So we're saying there's an element of coincidence, not luck, oh, coincidence, but then tenacity, because you had to put yourself in the room. Yeah, I, I did, and you know, it's probably one of the first times, one first and only times I've done it. It's just because I cared about it. I, re- I, re- I, I knew how to do that book. Right. Um, and until then, kind of shamefully, I always thought that people who adapted books had run out of ideas. You know, and so like, and I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm just one of these people at the time. Um, and yeah, I just felt a really strong connection with that novel. Mm. It was so well written and um, it just kind of captured young people as I remembered them. And, right. and even though you know, I was kind of fast approaching middle age, I just felt that I, I could still do that. Um, right. I wasn't able to do it on my experience in Skins, so um, I thought, okay, some of, the, some of the energy I was feeling from that and was kind of kept in a box, I was able to kind of unleash it a little bit. Okay, so we're talking about adaptation for that. I'm always struck, Dervil, when you know reading in the paper, so they're they're adapting the book, but every movie is an adaptation of a script because the script is just it's words on a page, mm-hmm. and as a director, you're adapting that to the screen. Now you've adapted two huge British or huge English writers, um, Roald Dahl and Charles Dickens. So you know Malcolm was really tenacious in putting himself in the room for that, for what Richard did. How did you position yourself for Little Dorrit and? Um, well, yeah, tortoise backwards. As your thought, <laughs> yes, as your thought, you yeah. Um, well, I would start in a similar way. I mean, luck plays hmm. such a huge part. Um, you know, there really is no science, I think, to to a, a career. So much of it is accident and 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 and, and luck. And um, uh, Charles Dickens was. Um, uh, I got asked to get sent the script as one of a few, you know, how these things happen mm. or, you know, there's a whole long list of directors who get sent the, get sent the script. But before that, I had done a, a, a series that nobody saw, but the people who did see it loved it for BBC Three called Funland. Oh. And it was, um, it was a series that um, was Jeremy Dyson and Simon Ashton, which was a fascinating combination of a soap writer, okay. um, Simon Ashton from EastEnders mm. and... Uh, Jeremy Dyson, the legal gentleman, and I got sent the script and I read it and I went, "Ooh, I don't know if I like it's all a little bit kind of clever and Channel Fourish and a little bit kind of, just a little bit is it kind of laughing at its characters?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I said no to it. It's, it's got sent to me, uh, 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 and I said no. I I, I don't like it because I have to connect in some way mm-hmm. with the characters or look or relate to them in 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 some way, and I just didn't relate to these, and um. Anyhow, then I got another call. My agent was on the holidays and the person stepping said, this producer just keeps calling and really wants you to read it. So this was Funland mm-hmm. now, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyhow, bec- as it worked, I said, well, it costs nothing to read a script and go to the meeting, but it was kind of awful to have to go and say, I don't 
like this I wouldn't normally go mm. to go to a meeting like that. So I read it and I met this woman who now I'm a great friend of, Anna Wallenberg, a German woman, and I just said, and I went to the meeting to say no, just to kind of meet her and and um, basically I said, well, I really struggle with, I don't like, you know, this character and this is what I do here and I don't like, and this, and that's exactly what we wanted, that's exactly, and yeah, that's exactly how I see developing it and um, so there was only one episode of that. So I walked out of the meeting and I called um, my partner and I went, I think I just said yes to that job that I went in to say no to. But I suppose what's interesting about that is, I, um, you know, sometimes as the director on things that are up and running, you're the last person in and you don't get an opportunity. And I kind of, and I kind of divide some of the things I work in into two very different, right. very different types of, of work. Mm -hmm. And the one that obviously, the ones that are obviously hugely enjoyable and engaging and are challenging and you feel are where you can get involved with the script very early and, and, and work with the writer. Right. Um, and anyhow, Funland was kind of, ended up being kind of quite a cult series and quite, I mean, it got me so much work. I couldn't believe it. Um, uh, even though very few, um, very few people saw it, but it did manage, we did kind of manage something quite, and turn these, people that these characters that were quite despicable on the uh, on the page and to you kind of really engaged with their with their story um and so um uh, when little dorish came along the producer i was a name on on the list yeah. and i went to uh, see it and i really did love i mean it's dickens what's not yeah. to love and i thought it quite comical that you know bleak house had been amazing and they'd taken the soap pro you yeah, know, that's right. twice yeah, a yeah, week yeah. so it was really interesting and i kind of found it quite comical that because the bbc the great british institution would be asking an irish person to come and okay. and 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 do like that was racist of me but i you know would no uh, i think it's important because we've got to understand what we're going to talk about this later on um being pigeonholed oh yeah and i think i you know I, spent a long time being kind of pigeonholed after shameless i couldn't get offered or get to read anything that was a northern drama with heart and cunt in it you know it's <laughs> um so with little doris so so this came in of course it was wonderful i mean amazing characters and great um reading and a kind of first draft because what um um i was going to say what charles dickens but what um uh the writer, um, I don't uh, oh, ridiculous. Um, My apologies. Andrew? Andrew Davis, yeah. of Andrew course. Davis. Okay, yeah. What he loves is just the first draft adaptation after that, yeah. you know. <laughs> I didn't get to see him for dust, you know, when yeah. you want to kind of do all of this, uh, do all of this work with him. But what was interesting, I suppose, about um, Little Doris was I was able, I was kind of, how can I connect with, with this in the kind of these, and I, this is the point, two great British institutions, Dickens, great British institutions, because Dickens actually didn't, like the Irish and actually I tried to see have lots of Irish actors come in and read for it and actually it didn't sound right in, in an mouth, Irish voice right at mouth, yeah. all it was yeah. really yeah. quite remarkable the rhythms of the speech and um, but I kind of used my hometown as a to connect with it because at the you know Dickens loves all of his mm. you know they yeah. all have heart and mm. there's some very extreme and you know such such a diverse gallery of characters and it just really reminds me of where I grew up right. you know in that uh, so, so that is how I kind of came into, first of all, how I got seen and yeah. then how I pitched myself and pitched the script and just connecting. I mean, I always, it's about connecting with the characters and yeah. the story and what I loved about the story and the heart of the story, because I had done lots of things and kind of cut my teeth in lots of style mm -hmm. and, and kind of made that, 
well not error I think it's part of growing up as a director that sometimes you think directing or when you start out it's about look at me and what I can do with the camera and the lighting and and then um, you know I think in maturing it's irrelevant what all of these things are doing if, mm. the, if the story doesn't have a kind of a, an emotional truth to it and right. um, and so Ezio Trosh came along and that was one of those that I read and um, and I just went that sounds crazy the idea but then I read it and it was the joy of reading it I mean normally you read a script and I'm kind of very disciplined how I sit down make sure the phone is off really kind of take note of what I'm feeling where and um, what makes me laugh person because you can never repeat that experience mm -hmm. uh, again and um, and so this I kind of sat down to read and I totally forgot I lost my director's head mm -hmm. on it and I, it was just a page turn. It was just pure joy. I was just even at the end of it. I, I, I don't even know how to how you'd talk about this, but I'd love to meet them because it's um <laughs> it's so joyful. And then obviously I did um did my um work. And in that meeting, and it came down to me and this film director. I walked away and I said, it's so not going to to come to me. But um, it the connection with that again. The Rodal's daughter was there and said, this is kind of people can be regarded as one of my father's more sentimental pieces there's it's the, doesn't have the darkness yeah down, light and um you know do you worry about about that and i said oh my god no the darkness for me is the loneliness because mm. again i saw you know and again i think that was i do feel kind of my irishness or sense of community right. about where you're brought up so connected with people and mm. sometimes overly connected everybody knows you certainly in my experience of growing up and then as your trot was about two people living right beside each other and not, not connecting mm. at all. And then again, that was kind of my pitch on it about, you know, that connection and the, and the theme being um, the darkness being its loneliness. Um, and, uh, and I didn't get to it, but with, with both of those shows, I didn't get to work with the writer for quite a, quite a while. And I've worked on lots of things that either you don't get to work with the writer for, mm. for, uh, a while because mm. I think a lot of British writers kind of are uh, sometimes I don't know but afraid of directors I think mm. directors mess up their work mm. and um, and uh, you know and I think in Britain and uh, um, and maybe here I suppose I, because I haven't I've only done very little work here but it's, it's very producer driven and run the, is, the, yeah. the television yeah. business and you know there's always power plays at, mm. at, at work so um, so when I did get to work, you know, you know, I mean, you have to just um, uh, write your notes a certain way when you're giving them to Richard Curtis. And, um, Which is another <laughs> British institution at this yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but the Roald Dahl element, I mean, the magic of, I think, Ezio Trot, mm -hmm. right up to the end, is, is Roald Dahl's magic. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Richard gets abuse people love or, or hate him and um uh you know he has a very particular style and he brought the james corden element to it and people loved or hated that but at the heart of it is is uh is Roald Dahl and you know at the heart of uh, little dorish mm. you know dickens absolute love because actually little dorish was he was in love with his wife's sister who was a, i mean so it's yeah it's all in the writers you know whatever the writer is burning yeah. that that story to tell or you know and it's, i think finding the connection with that yeah and um, malcolm Dervin touched on there about the, the importance of honesty you know because you probably wouldn't have gotten the gig on funland had you not been honest that's very true actually okay I wouldn't. well yeah 
Yeah, chances are. I mean, you know, I was. I said I didn't. Yeah. And that, but the thing is, that's the important thing is to note there is the possibility that you come in and you say this didn't work for me, and all of a sudden that may unlock um, a secret that they've held. We're not really too sure whether this works. So, honesty there with showrunners and producers and the difficulty because you were saying about TV is so producer driven. Tell us about your experiences on Shameless and Skins and these long running shows. You also did the bill. Yeah, I mean, that, the bill was very different because, you know, it would start with, because it was so established by then, and, you know, they had, um, you know, you, you knew exactly what number episode you were doing, when, and when it was going to be broadcast. Yeah. Um, you know, so you'd start in a room with, you know, eight other writers, because that was the block, and then, you know, there'd be all the execs and the storyliners, it was, you know, it's like a, but it became, it was like a factory, um, a, a factory of creativity, I don't know how yeah. much creativity was going on, but... Um, you know that that was how telly used to be written. Mm-hmm. Now it's it has kind of radically changed in the UK, and and I think it's probably just because it's being modelled on uh, the US. Um, and Paul Abbott was one of the first people to kind of get a bunch of writers in a room and start kind of storylining from scratch in a writers' room and have people pacing up and down and putting stuff on the boards. And, and literally, isn't that? I just caught up with his new show, No Offense, at yeah. the weekend, and it's. It's interesting, there's no writer credit at the start, but it's created by mm. Paul, and then there's a different yeah. writer credit. So it is kind of almost really the first real British writer's room, is it? It's not really industrialising the whole process. Is it industrialising it? I'm sure, well, it is an industry. Yeah, I have to, is, yeah. you know, television is an industry, and um, I think what you have to do all of the time is try and find where you're you know it isn't indie filmmaking and it isn't and it, it, it's it's quite a political um place and um i don't know i thought no offense was great writing do you know in terms of the industry i know from having worked with paul Abbott and shameless which without doubt um with the exception maybe uh, are in competition with the script i got on something last week the first episode of paul Abbott's shameless i have never read anything like no, it i i just yeah. i i just mm-hmm. went Oh my, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't think writing yeah, could yeah, be yeah, like this. Yeah. Now, Flaps. Paul wrote the first one, and he wrote the second, and I don't think he ever finished another one after yeah. that. He started them all, he sabotaged sometimes other writers. I did a, another a, a episode of Paul's where he would not commit to an ending. I was shooting scenes, and he was in France, there was a script editor over him, and saying, you know, Paul, you've got to write. And I was speaking to, I was speaking, Paul, I'm shooting this scene tomorrow. You know, none of the characters, nobody knows where they're going, what they're... But whatever he did write, whenever something came from his typewriter, it was amazing. Yeah. And, um, and so I think he's found an extraordinarily interesting way to deal with his issue because he's, he's, you know, he's exploding with, um, with ideas, mm. quite impossible yeah. to deal with. Well, you've, well, you obviously... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> I mean, I came on Shameless, as I said earlier, when it got shit. Um, you know, so <laughs> I was responsible for all the great stuff. Um, but... Um, there were, you know, and Paul by that point was kind of becoming a bit more chaotic, you know, so he wasn't in so much in the room, or he would drop into the room and he would say, you know, it'd, it'd give you kind of a gem and then he'd say something so mad you were like, where did that come from? What show is he talking about? You know? um, and then, you know, it's only very recent, well, it was no offence, that yeah. he's kind of started writing again, yes, you know, for yeah, a long time. Yeah. And um, but interestingly, last year, actually it was probably almost two years ago, um, I was asked to do No Offence, and I read the first episode, and again, I had the same reaction to when I read Shameless. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, 
you can't write on this show. Well, that was my. F- I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I always get this first. The fear kicks in. You go. Yeah, yeah I was the same. Can't, can't, can't direct. Do it, can't I'd never be it, able yeah. to do that. Yeah. 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 But um, I just thought definitely I can't do this. Yeah. You know, because you're picking up on a voice that's so distinct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have to kind of, you know, almost. You know, I mean, that's the thing. When I guess when you are doing those kind of shows, you are serving someone else's voice, but you find a way to make it your own as well. Um, Hussein Amini said the very same thing when he was doing uh, Drive, and the, the producers loved what he did because you could hear him, but you could still hear the, hear the, the elements of the book. Yeah. You know, And also when he was doing Wings of the Dove. I mean, that's quite a leap to go from Wings of the Dove to Drive, but he was able to do both. So the struggle, not the struggle, but the demand, I suppose, is to, to fit into the, that stream, but also give your own flavour to it. There is, but I mean, maybe because I'm not that precious and, you know, like I don't, well, I kind of like to think my ego is kind of in check, but I don't care so much that my voice is out there. And that's probably a terrible thing for a writer to admit, but, you know, we're being honest, mm-hmm. um, because I think, you know, ultimately, certainly, you know, when it comes to an adaptation as well, uh, well you know, it's gone through so many versions of a voice, you know, and when, once a writer hands over their script, which you know, a script has to do many things, like, you know, so it's, it has to be both like a mission statement, a sales document, it has to be the very best of you and how you, hmm. your screenwriting is, but, you know, it's, but you know that once you hand that over, it is, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not saying it's a roadmap, but it's, it's a very well-written roadmap, yeah. but it's, you know, you, you're giving it to the director, and the director has to make that, hmm. and so that's when you, I think, should step away, you know, and you're giving it to uh, actors who mm. will just make it sing and you know like and then I've discovered very recently that you know like the, the amount of work that the editor puts into things and and so you know especially if it's a uh, you know if it's an editor who's almost like another writer yeah you know there are people after you who's who continue your work and yet you somehow get the credit for it you know so like <laughs> I, I, I'm quite maybe I've kind of sussed it out but I, I'm quite happy with that you know? right so what about what's your routine I mean, when you if you if you think of an original screenplay or an original original story, or if you're given an assignment, what is your routine? I mean, hours of the day, what do you do first thing in the morning? Because there is surely the discipline gets us through. Don't mm. ask me that question. Mm. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I do. I, I, I've got children, and a childminder comes to the house, so there is a routine because it's literally I write from the moment she turns up until she leaves, right. um, and until very, very recently, I was pretty strict on myself in that I would never write in the evenings because I like having a life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never worked weekends because years ago when I was working on the bill, um, a three times divorced man said never work weekends because it'll kill you. There's uh, so I kind of, I was trying to, I, you know, it depends. If you've got production and you've got deadlines, then you just have to sometimes do it. Um, and very recently, I've been working on a show that's been so hard to write that I found myself doing kind of all all nighters, um, but that was my choice, and I just wanted to crack it because it was frustrating me. Mm. Um, but that I, I do, you know, I, I'm, maybe I'm kind of a kind of a product of my time. I'm, you know, I'm kind of nine thirty till six, right. um, and it's you know sometimes I go till two minutes past six, and I hear <coughs> downstairs, and I have to kind of like <laughs> go down. And, um, but I mean, you know, but that's. And I feel really guilty most of the time because I'm not writing. Mm. You know, like I try to do a lot of thinking and avoiding the internet. Um, but mm. you know, like, and then the amount of time I think during the day where I'm actually physically writing is probably just two or three hours. Um, but 
the you know I think if I can have a really productive day, it's the day that I have been able to step back from what I'm writing, have a, a good think about it, and mm. then you know, and I have this weird process where, um, which has actually knackered my fingers, but um, it's probably one more. But um, I write everything longhand until I feel that it's worthy of going up on the screen. And then I'm really kind of like, oh, do I send it? Do I send? It? You know, so I'm kind of I go through filtering. Okay. So I'm like, I almost script edit myself a little bit before I right. send something up. Um, but I've been doing an awful lot of like Long writing hand. in pencil. Yeah, and like it's like, and then it's kind of like writing in pencil. Does it deserve to be a pen now? You know, it's like <laughs> Ink. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but so that's you know, I do. So I am writing, but I'm yeah. just not script writing. Well, I mean, there's I mean a, a lot of very famous writers have very quirky tricks. I mean, John Milius wrote two hours a day, um, 10 to 11 and 4 to 5. And then Quentin Tarantino says the second he knows it's going to happen next, he stops writing. Because he, he rests until the next day. Richard Curtis says, I, I always make sure I know I'm going to do tomorrow. So I've got something to do as opposed to the horror of the blank page. So what's your trick? Or do you have a variety of them? There's, well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, there are varieties. Um, I mean, I'd love to say I can finish halfway through a sentence because I know I'll have to pick it up the next day, but I don't. Mm. I just, you know, I, I do like completing things because I think you're not a writer until you finish something. Right. Um, and, you know, and that, but then sometimes when you've got the clock against you, it's really hard because you just go, okay, m maybe my ambition is just going to be to the end of this paragraph today. Okay. Um, if I'm writing an outline, say, but if, if it's a scene, I will probably look at the clock and go, am I going to get finished this scene? Um, there's How one long the, is a piece of string? Yeah, but the, there was one, um, there was a writer who, I mean, he, you know, a self-confessed jobbing writer, who was very good, he worked on Shameless, he showed me how to do this kind of vomit draft, um, which um, I, I try and do if I'm kind of back against the wall, but it's where you literally just kind of write down, you, you, you go through the scene and you say, he has to say something like this, in return she will say this. He has to then kind of do something tricky and she's probably going to block him, but you know, it's like, that. so he doesn't write the dialogue, but he knows the structure of the scene. Um, and you can very quickly get to the end of a script doing that in maybe two or three days. And then you kind of go, oh, finished the script, you know, it's like, and so, you know, sometimes when I'm doing the first draft of something, I'll do that just to kind of get the that early, draft. yeah, the vomit draft, just to get the early sense of achievement, and then <laughs> right. you can kind of go back through it and start, yeah. kind of, um, you know, looking at each scene and going, oh, well, that didn't work, but you know, I can reach, you know, try it again. So, Jervil, so, when you were saying when you um, when you read the Roald Dahl script, mm -hmm. and you completely forgot your method of reading the script because you were so immersed, it was just it just flowed so beautifully. Yeah. What is your method of breaking down the script when you're writing notes and you're taking notes? Do you say to yourself, this should be happening by this certain point in the script? Or are you saying, where's the, the, sub, where's the supporting character coming in or where's the subplot? Um, I, I think I, I familiarise, it's getting more and more familiar with the script mm. and I kind of read a script each time and even right all the way up to shooting it with a different intention each, each time. It's, okay. I kind of feel like it's your you just layer upon layer upon layer upon mm. layer and, and when prepping a script with um, when actually in production which is kind of more obvious but I would do separate page turns with every single department mm. every single actor every yeah. so you it's just you've gone through the script but only with that intention only you know this time I'm only doing 
like whether it's background action this time it's this actor who's got a small part he's only got he's in three scenes and mm -hmm. got two lines but 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 that um, back way at the beginning in terms of, of, of reading it first of all I set up every possible obstacle to put off reading it it's just absolutely <laughs> Again, I mean I'm totally I'm really I, do, I deserve nothing um, because um, I really I have an amazing dishwasher it's so clean I just get up and because I'm aware whatever reaction I have to that script will will dictate yeah. the next six months or year of my life or it will mean how will I find the words to say you know right. uh, that I don't like it or how can I be so thick or so stupid not to enjoy the script that is actually mm -hmm. so there's an incredible amount of negativity happening to um but I you know it's there and I have the table is clear and I do have luminous pens and I work in mm -hmm. pencil all the time I never work straight to it mm -hmm. I have a friend who's desperate to try and get me into dictation and laptop and this but I'm an absolute obsessive about just a pencil and I work with the DOP who calls me a uh, three colours Walsh because I have a whole <laughs> colour code system to how I mark a script. But um, um, so I, I first of all, I've only recently changed to having to read off a screen. But for ages, it was no, it had to be an A4 and it had to be in to print turn. and to turn because yeah. I visually kind of remember where things are mm -hmm. on, on a page. Um, and then that first read is just absolutely just a read of gut, just remembering emotionally what you're mm. reacting, where you got bored, where you see all of that usual. Then um, the next read is familiarising myself, just characters, who the characters, description, you know, um, who they are, just literally can, because I find an awful lot of, you know, like names, like I'm really bad at remembering names. So like even just information, yeah. it's like get through the information and familiarise your, you know yourself and, and you know what the relationships are then um you know it can be so it's kind of quite a quite a um and um a kind of forensic uh, yeah, yeah. you know a, a approach to it and um and and kind of literally each each read kind of familiarizing myself with who they are you know where are they and then what's happening what are they you know like I've already got the first layer of an emotional mm. reaction to it so then after that it's almost analyzing right. how you got it to that and then you know um uh obviously when you read it for the first time you might be going pitching for for something it's just kind of the tone of it it's kind of finding what is it's what is the writer intending is you're always kind of looking for the writer's um um, intention in terms of what hints or clues mm -hmm. they've given you in, in the writing you read something like Tony Marchant and there isn't a clue there mm -hmm. from beginning to end like first time I read a Tony Marchant script it was beginning to end and um, you know dialogue I thought it was like reading radio play yeah. and I was going, yeah, yeah. who is this guy and um, and then somebody like Paul where it's just you know uh, 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 crystal clear um, and um, uh, is there ever a danger then in that process that you're going to wake up one morning and say, I don't love this anymore? Oh my I God. mean, I'd love directing, but I would love don't love this project. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to jump off every single thing I've done. <laughs> I just have gone, oh my so God, how do you I get, hate this. Okay, how, how did I get involved How do you get through that problem? How do you solve that problem for yourself then? Gosh, um, deep breaths and remembering why the first you did time. it. Because I have to put my hand in my heart and say there's only one job there that I've done because I've ha I've had work. to you know it was work I mean everything else I really 
I went, oh my God, I really want this. Could I be lucky enough to work this? Oh my, if I even just got a meeting, I'd be happy. You know, just to, because to read good writing is, it's few in fact, there isn't a lot of great writing. Mm -hmm. And so when you read good writing, it's, and you know, for TV, it's so exciting. Mm. And it's so, and I'm in awe of writers. I mean, I, I kind of, how I came up through TV was working um, on an Irish language series where we were supposed to do a diddly eye show and I didn't want it's to Ross do Maroon. that. No, not no. Ross Maroon, um, Eku Eku, okay, sorry. Irish language sorry. series. And um, it was a kind of re replacement for Squeal Amok and Bubbling, which was a music show. And, you know, it was just, and I was kind of really mad. I'd been kind of sent from young people's to Irish language and said, you know, I I only want to work in, you know, I want work in this if we can do everything as drama and never, ever use our presenters as presenters. So can we employ... So we did everything as comedy sketches or drama. We would like write dramas over a weekend. Like it was, we had wonderful ignorance, the bliss of ignorance, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and um, it. Uh, um, I'm trying to say how to die. We were talking about how you get through the pa the pain of the shock of I don't love this anymore. How do you solve that problem? Yes, remembering problem. why, remembering Going why you liked it in, in in the first place. I yeah. think that's and be, you know because pr the process of production can be you know it's hard work mm. it is a juggernaut that you have to move and you enter such relations so so many relationships mm. with people that many of whom you haven't worked with before so it's been a huge level of of, of trust often if you take it first as the is the writer right. able to deliver what mm. you is the producer have they turned out to be i mean everybody is interviewed for a job and the only people that are never interviewed are producers and actually I find my first meeting with a producer I'm really looking at what I'm thinking of that person because you can be so dumped are there so few somebody asked once and you know they're looking for advice on how to get on and they asked a particular friend of mine how do you become a producer and he said you just call yourself one. that's it you got a business card <laughs> yeah you just call yourself one like the rest of everybody else I think you, you know you have to learn your craft, wholeness, yeah. you have to, so um, there are some really good producers and there are some really weak ones and mm. you can be hung out to, dry. so I, I really think that relationship is, 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 is very important mm. um, and um, uh, there I am forgetting again. It, it's fine, no, it's, it's different I think for a writer because you know director, if you're part of a directing team on a, on a long running TV show, you're, you're slotted in. Yeah, yeah. But, for a writer, I think you're in the room with other writers or the showrunner. Yeah. So can you talk us through that? And again, focusing on the idea of a difficult personality to deal with and how do you solve Yeah, I didn't that answer problem. that before, did I? Um, well, it's, I mean, it depends who is, is leading it. And it's very, you know, it's very new to the UK, the, the idea of a showrunner. And now everybody wants to be a showrunner. Hmm. Um, and, you know, we're talking everybody, like people brand new to telly who, you know, have just started writing. You ask them what they want to do, they want to be a showrunner. I don't think they quite understand what it means. They just love the kudos that goes with it. Um, you know, I think back in the day, you kind of you'd, you'd like to have seen your work, you know, your authored work on screen, and that's probably the the most you could achieve. And that was, you know, that's absolutely fine. And you were trying to emulate the likes of, you know, Dennis Potter, you know, who had a real voice. Um, but now it's very much like I want to get my own show, and what that means is I get to have cast approval, director approval, sitting on the edit and just generally kind of hang out and have total control. And that doesn't suit many writers. Um, you know, and I think it, it suits writers who have an understanding of all the process because they've been through it. Um, 
but I think new writers shouldn't really aspire to do that because they just don't understand what you know what collaboration is mm. and you know. Um, but yeah, I've dealt with you know Paul um, and Shameless was very much the you know the man who put the the writer's studio together and it was literally a writer's studio. Do you know like Paul has mm. so he has two houses in Manchester, lovely. I mean on the outskirts of Manchester, one beautiful house. The other ne next door is next door to Roy Keane's house. Uh, and so like you'd wake up in the morning and you'd see Roy Keane with his dogs going up and down the lawn. Um, <laughs> but he turned this into a, a space for artists and you know you'd get Paul Weller up to do some songwriting there. Um, but mainly he got the shameless right shameless writers in uh, around this huge table and you would have your chef and every day you would kind of have rows with each other and come up with story and it was like it was quite amazing yeah um, and you know that you know that was one of the, like I said one of the very first times it happened what I found there for the first time because you know, writers were always traditionally you know kind of quite quiet and bookish and I found that I had to find not only you know, what a voice you know Physically. to speak you know in a room and it's it's intimidating when you have more um, experienced people there when you've got a guy who's literally like you know here's my BAFTAs um, <laughs> and you know to have the courage to be able to stand up and go you know what, I think you know it's your show I know that but I think you're wrong on that point because um, I'm not feeling it or just, to be honest yeah yeah and yeah. um, so you know I've done that on occasion and you know I, I was commended for it on other occasions, when I worked on um, Skins, I was kind of brought in to be the kind of the older writer. And it, like Skins was again, it was like um, it was a show for young people, but it was mainly written by young people. So they were. But it was written originally by Brian. Yeah, was it was fifty odd. He was, but he was <laughs> yeah. a, you know, yeah, old bike, and he yeah. I thought kind of ran it with quite a, a, a strong yeah. hand. I mean, that's the thing. The way it was kind of. You know the the myth behind that show is that it was written by young people, but yeah. it was literally you would turn up every Wednesday and there would be a box of donuts in the table, and nobody was allowed to touch it until Brian stopped talking. You know, cause it was and it was literally he was giving everyone a masterclass in writing, which was, which was great, if you're a new writer because you're getting yeah. you know a great teacher. But he was a difficult man, um, and he, you know, demanded he made demands of you, and I I was kind of brought in to be the kind of the, the conduit between him and the younger writers, I was supposed to help them, and and the one time I tried to give him notes, I mean, I, don't, I was going to ask, actually, did Richard Curtis take notes? Not, no, no, not, 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 um, not hugely. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, you know, I gave... Not at all, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I think certain people get to a, a stage yeah, where, yeah. Um, you know, and Brian Ellsley, I gave him a page of notes, and that was, I literally got a phone, phone call, can you come in and see the... Um, executive producer um, and I was just quietly told back in your box you know and yeah, which yeah. was hard because I, I you know I'd been doing that to everybody and the younger writers really appreciated it but um, it kind of made our relationship tricky mm -hmm. um, and then when it came to me doing my episode because I was just kind of you know I was waiting you know the, the series was changing and I was kind of one of the last episodes I was kind of waiting for it, everything to fall into place and then it came to me writing and I only had a few weeks in which to write my scripts um, because he was changing and rewriting everybody prior to that. Um, and so I was like, okay, ready, go. And I, you know, I was kind of writing around the clock and I remember, I remember being over here and doing, doing almost four days without sleep writing a draft. I'd been really proud of it. 
Um, and that was the production draft. It was read with the cast. And then the, the following day, I got a phone call saying, I think there's going to be changes. Um, and I was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And they were like, yeah, you won't be doing the changes. Um, and so that was, that was tough because yeah. I worked so hard on it and I delivered you know, what I thought was good work. Um, although probably on reflection, you know, what, what good work can you do in four consecutive days? But it, you know, it's probably going to be quite bold. And that. But, um, but I remember shortly afterwards, he kind of, he kind of got me in and, said, and apologised and said the only way that he knew how to kind of, when he's in a stressful situation, he went back to writing. So he said that was the only available script he could work on. So, you know, and that's, but that's why I, I suppose I kind of learned that you are ultimately, you know, you can do the best work you can mm -hmm. within the constraints of what show you're working on and you can bring yourself to it, but you are ultimately serving somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you either have to then go, well, okay, do I continue doing this? Because it, it can be really enjoyable being in a room with other writers mm -hmm. and talking to people because I don't talk to anybody all day um, but um, but then you you have to lose a little bit of yourself and it's not much but it's just mm -hmm. a little bit um, and make concessions and and I and I think you know I, I kind of vowed to myself that I wouldn't write on those kind of shows again um, but you know and luckily then went on to what Richard did but I found myself going back onto those kind of shows because um, you know, there are good shows out there yeah. and I would be stupid to turn them down. Mm. And I was turning them down thinking, oh, maybe I'll just do my own stuff. But, you know, your own stuff doesn't always get made. Mm. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, sometimes you just need to pay the mortgage and, you know, like, and then you go, okay, well, what's out there? What can I do? And what am I the right fit for? But there's also an element, <clears throat> if you're writing for a show that you may not particularly like or may not feel as though you're fit for, it's training. You're still you're going through the the exercises. I mean, as I think Woody Allen said, the brain is a, a muscle. You got to train it every day. And you think about how much he writes. He writes mm -hmm. every single day. Yeah. It's it's something that it's like breathing and eating for for writers. You you can't stop. You've Maybe got he to. should though. <laughs> Woody should. But, but, but I think in in Britain in particular and in in TV drama because I do think there are some some great British writers. I mean, it's just. So many that I've worked with have learned their craft through soap. And mm. Paul Abbott yeah. is an example. Paul was in Coronation Street. Sally Wainwright is Emmerdale Farm. Mm. Um, uh, uh, there's uh, uh, so many of them have literally come up through soap and just mm. learned the craft, just the hard work of. Craft. And then it's. I mean, I think it's like being a runner. I, I you know, as, or as a director, as a trainee, or you know, on. Um, and then you know, find their voice, and then find. Um, you know, you can write. I mean, I have loads of friends who have their first films or their mm. first, you know, their first novels all in their drawer. In their drawer, but mm. you know, how to get it out and get it um, and and get it made, and that is, you know, getting a producer who trusts you. And I think that's a big issue here in Ireland. First of all, there's a lack of volume of um, of things being made. You have to be allowed to fail, and you have to, I think, you know, do um, do, uh, you know. A lot of work so that you can yourself realize that I can't re you know reinvent the wheel you know because you do when you really want to do that it's like what can I do I mean my approach is on, on, on some things are like what is the one thing different I can do in this in this right. scene what can I do here that I haven't done first so you're self-learning all of all the, the time all, all of the time and and I think particularly there are so many producers who don't give writers and directors a chance, don't give, that are dependent on mm. reputation. I mean, I kind of would see in the BBC sometimes 
when I was in on, on Little Dorrit and you know the, the, the directors or the DOPs or whatever, the list of people they wanted to see you know they had just written down at a broadcast you know the top 10 hotshot or, yeah, yeah. Uh, or I have worked on things where I'd composer that who you know I really wanted to work with and the executive producer would not entertain him because he hadn't won a BAFTA I mean just a kind of very narrow minded yeah, yeah. view of um, um, of that so and certainly you know I, I got my break from a producer who trusted there was nothing on the the CV to say you can obviously do this but there was something in our meeting or in connection or what he saw that 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 um, was this for Funland to go to Little Dart or was this earlier no it was earlier um, mm-hmm. I think um, it was um, on um, uh, Custer's last stand up right, and here, then um, yeah. EastEnders when then I met East John Enders. York for uh, EastEnders I mean there was and he was just looking for somebody who hadn't come through the BBC who had come something fresh yeah and yeah. a colleague of his had worked on on um, on uh, Custer's and just said, oh, there's somebody I've worked with who's you know quite different to yeah. anybody here. And I did EastEnders and then you know just nearly died. I mean, I, I did to. I mean, of everything I've done, EastEnders is the hardest thing that I've ever worked on. Was that I, because it was the first in your introduction to the BBC, or no, was it? No, I just think it is a true um, uh, uh, factory. Yeah. I mean, they just have it down to yeah. find out and keeping up with them is. And they, they have soap, they have what they do, which is of, a, you know, whatever your tastes are, but it's of a very high standard. It eats story and um, eats um, actors and directors. And there's five directors working all the time. Just, I really think you need a cocaine habit to keep up with this. It was just yeah. re- now, I did a special to start, which made it, you know, wasn't as crazy. And I did go in there trying to do you know, trying to do something different mm. in every scene. And I can remember a producer taking me to one side and said, yeah. you know, we're shooting something in the garage. You shot that from there. Why did you shoot it from there? Well, you know, to do because there were similar scenes, and they're in. He said they're in different episodes. Nobody would have noticed. You have to pick your, pick your babies. And then that was a series that a first AD came up to me and said, um, uh, Dervla, um, talk less to the actors because you know I'm totally into the actors. Mm. And I went, uh, but I mean I need to talk to them about this. And mm. said for every minute you, minute extra you speak to the actors. Over the course of the day, that's 15 minutes we've lost because it's 15 scenes a day. That's 15 minutes we've lost, and that's one scene we've dropped. Speak less to the actors. I was gonna, oh my god. So I knew I didn't need to do that again. And the more, in the same way that you say about a writer's room, and you make decisions, and and you you know, I, I but I couldn't, and I couldn't get an agent after. I couldn't get an agent after Custer's Last Stand Up because you were children's director. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't get an agent after EastEnders because you're a soap director, and um. And you know, trying, and then I just got an incredibly lucky break with Shameless. John York had moved to Channel Four, recommended me to company, um, who looked at my CV and just—I mean, I didn't see it, but they obviously laughed, you know. And I think just to enter, you know, because I had a, a, a classic Irish CV, which mm. is, you know, very, very, you know, mm-hmm. diverse yeah. and um, um, and uh, uh, he. Um, I, I, they, I read, I got sent the scripts and thought they were amazing, came over to Manchester, met the producer but not the executives and, you know, pitched how I would, you know, approach it and she said, oh no, no, we're not going that, that's not our approach at all. And I went, oh, oh, okay. He says, no, it's locked off shot, characters walk, there's no handhelds, there's no, I went, oh, I said, how interesting, oh my gosh. And I came back and I said, 
I knew. I said, like, I'm not even in their league. I said, like, I would never have thought of doing the show like that. I was saying my head on the way, God almighty. And um, so that was fine. And, um, you know, I went off. There was no drama work happening. I think I, you know, was doing the AXA piano competition or something. And, and, <laughs> and um, I got a call about to come back and meet, meet sure. them. And they were, I said, no, no, well, I didn't get that job. And this, no, no, come back. So I went back to London and the, I was led into an office of four people by the guy that I thought was the runner and then he sat down beside them and he turned out to be the producer who had just, you know, from the script. But there was Paul and the executives. And so, you know, I was sitting there and said, so, you know, tell us about your reaction to the scripts. And I said, well, this is what I thought. Um, I said, but, and then I, then I thought visually, this is how different. I said, but I know you're not going that direction. So that's so interesting. You're going, no, no, tell us again how you would, how, yeah. how you would approach them. And, you know, what they did, they basically the production had ground to hold. They had Mark Milad as their, um, as their pilot director who um, made his name on um, Royal Family mm. and, you know, wonderful performances. Mm -hmm. And But Mark had never moved an actor in his life. So Do you know, couch, like a, the Royal couch. Family was all yeah, on the couch. And so he was the pilot director and he came and he, you know, literally... I can, Paul was saying, said, like, I love Mark, and we talked about, but like, there's eight people sitting on a couch and they never move, nobody, everything's flash against. I mean, all such obvious stuff to me, you know, and the likes of us, I think, who have to work on such it because we came up through no money and having to be imaginative with what, what you were doing, and it just basically was dying on its feet, and they literally stopped and, and, um, you know, and recast some things and, you know, started again, and it became, you know, now the style we're all sick of, but at that mm. time was mm. a really, um, uh, you know, it was an interesting style. Malcolm, Dermot touched on something that we mentioned earlier about being pigeonholed, because you, you know, <coughs> you were saying the Irish director in the UK. Yeah. What about you? Because as you were saying, you were writing, you were down with the kids, mm. making all these TV shows yeah. for kids, and then now you're working on The White Queen. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah and you know, and that there seems to be it's a huge shift. Was that a conscious decision on your part? Was it we're saying luck, or would you would you grab your agent and say, "Look, <laughs> get me meetings"? Well, I mean, I guess with what Richard did, I felt like I'd done my young person story, right. and and then you know that kind of came out, did well, did well, well enough for me, um, and I just got sent a whole bunch of scripts about kind of young people and books uh, and young adult uh, mm. fiction, and and I was. I kind of had to, to make a decision. I mean, some of it was really good, but I kind of, I don't know whether I was just being a bit grand or naive, but I just kind of went, no, I feel like I've done that now. Um, and that, I mean, I wish some of the, like, those books were coming my way now, but, you know, that, but the, um, I just thought, well, I've done that. What can I do that's a bit different and will just kind of, you know, test me a little bit. Mm. And, um, and so John Griffin, you know John Griffin? Mm -hmm. So he, this is a, a producer uh, we've both with, I've worked with and he had been kind of a champion of mine over the years so he kind of brought me on to Shameless he tried to get me on like the second third and fourth series of Shameless but he kept kept going oh I don't think you're quite right I think you get swallowed up and I don't want you to get hurt and um, but eventually you know but he he'd gone up the ladder and he was exec producing the White Queen and just said look we need um, we need a male voice on this show because it's very female um, you know, like the the lead writer at the time, Emma Frost, who you might know, mm -hmm. she was going to do, um, I think she was going to do all the episodes and there were 10. Um, and then they kind of realised that that was going to probably kill her. And so there were like four of them became available. Mm -hmm. um, and 
it was, you know, I, I don't think it was a particularly sec- successful show. Um, okay. But I think, and I was pleased with my contribution because, mm. um, and I don't know whether, you know, but anyway, they said they wanted a, a, like a male voice just to kind of give the male characters, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, but I just kind of, I thought, well, you know, it's a period show. I'd never done period before. Um, it was an adaptation of a book that I wasn't particularly hot on, but mm. I kind of understood the history mm. and there were these great archetypes in it. And I just kind of thought, um, I thought, look, I can, do, I feel like I can do this. And there are some, there's some great stories in the War of the Roses and like mm. from that period of history. Uh, and also one of the things I said to myself was, look, if I get sacked off this, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I won't get hired to do a show set in kind of Elizabethan England or something, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, so I thought I'd, I'd, you know, have a bit of fun on it. And it was great fun. I loved working on that show. Um, and, you know, that that said, um, the I remember at one point the the author of the books, who's a lady called Philippa Gregory. Yes, yeah. huge so seller. She, yeah, I mean, she was like a huge seller and, and huge ego. Sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, and you know, she, she, you, you would do, you'd get up to like draft three or something, and then Philippa would give her notes. Um, there were about seven execs on this. Um, remind me to tell you about the casting for that show because I think it's a really good story. But anyway, so the, um, the, there were seven, seven execs all giving notes at various stages. She came in at draft three. Um, and I remember at one point she gave this note saying, I'm not, I'm not happy with the dialogue in this particular scene. Um, can you refer the writer to pages 26 to 46 um, and maybe use that? And I'm like, you have no understanding yeah. of, of the, the, the process. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, was, you know, I can read 20 pages of your novel, the dialogue, which was shit. But um, and you know really on the nose. Um, but I'm I'm having to do half a sit like half a size. Yeah. You know it's like a thirty second scene. Yeah. How am I supposed to condense that? You know. Um, so but again you know you have to take take the note. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of I included one of her lines. Um, and normally I mean on that show what I, I would, it depends you have to kind of have the essence of of the writer. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, but I think once a writer signs over the rights to their work, depending on how much clout they have, and she did have clout, but she, I think she was eventually she was given so many notes down the line. She was the producers were quite clever with her and managed her, mm. um, you know. But I just, I eventually just kind of changed all the line. I mean, I didn't use me- much of her dialogue for the reasons I've just mentioned, mm. but um, and I just thought, well, I can, you know, I know what the characters can say to each other. I, I'll just write the dialogue myself. Yeah. Um, but you know. And did, can I ask you? Did you find? I mean, you know, that's obviously, um, you know, a, a very particular process, mm. and you know, on shows like that where there are a number of writers and you're, you have so many gods you have to serve. Um, the difference between that process and something like what Richard did, where you had, you know, it was just you and, and, and the director. Mm. I mean, in terms of what was rewarding or, you know, are you're able to kind of still get your reward out of working in something that's more industrial. I mean, you know, what Richard did was the best experience mm. of my career. Mm. Um, but, you know, I have enjoyed working on other things as well. But and I think it may, I mean, you know, many, many aspects. I was getting to kind of work with somebody who whose work I admired 
from the start. You know, it's, it's so rare. I mean, I'm, I'm finding it now in British telly and a bit of American telly that they will bring the director in to the writer's room. To, the director will kind of, you know, sometimes bring out the mood boards and, and talk mm. about kind of how they envisage the show, but they're very respectful. They don't want to tread on toes. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd much rather that a director come in and kind of share the vision because... You see, I think that's where producer is really important. Yeah. And it's about bringing the writer and director together yeah, because in, in my experience that is always, you know, there's a kind of this bizarre thing that is kind of the, the writer, in my experience, thinks the director is the, um, is the enemy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've worked with writers who, who think, you know, who've thought that, you know, and that's because I think the producer hasn't brought them together because the producer is so minding that relationship with the writer. But also the producer wants to keep them apart. Sometimes. I mean, it's very interesting. The, yeah, and, and, and there's, I don't think there's any benefit to that whatsoever. And, and it's um, certainly like that, even, you know, on, on SEO or um, on, on, on most things, to sit down with the writer and go through, you know, exactly that, your mood boards, your locations as you're finding them. I think, God, oh, you know, thought about how we could adapt that scene yeah. to work to work here um, you know music ideas mm. uh, you know the things that I suppose inspire you as a director when you're adapting yeah. it for, for, for the screen and you know how you can feed that into the, and to see writers respond to that is 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 uh, is wonderful and it just makes the work better you know yeah. and ultimately like you just want to make the work better and not be precious about mm-hmm. it you know and and I don't know whether like that was something I learned very early on, you know, like an actor could suddenly make a, a line of yours which was just, you know, full of exposition, you can make it work, yeah. and you kind of go, wow, that's, mm. that's amazing, you know. And I've had very, very few bad experiences. I've, I mean, you know, I know writers claim they've had bad experiences, but I think, just think they're probably frustrated, mm. you know, and want to direct, you know, mm. like, um, whereas I, I've never wanted to direct, you know, and I, I just see what a director does and I go, I can't do that. And, mm. and I just think, that's such a skill and you know, I just wouldn't be able to manage you know, working, both working on the script, realising it and then managing all the people, having all those conversations with the heads of the department and I just wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but I just think, you know, always when you see your work made better, it's, you know, it's the work mm. ultimately, yeah. it's yeah. like you, you know, yeah. so you're just, you're just trying to sell a Can story. Can you tell us the story about the casting? Oh God, yeah. Um, so there were seven execs on this from, you know, so there's the broadcaster from the United States, the BBC. There were two execs from company. There was the, BBC, the head of drama BBC. The, the writer supposedly, the main writer supposedly had casting approval. Um, the director supposedly had casting approval. No, you know, um, and then the producer. So I actually mm-hmm. probably listed about 10 people there. Um, the, this was for the White Queen. Um, and, you know, she was supposed to be English Rose, kind of indomitable character. And yet, you know, beautiful, but come from a kind of a, a working class background back in the day. And um, they had this short list of three actors, neither of whom were that person, but they'd gone through, you know, jumped through so many hoops just to find that short list of, you know, getting seven people to agree on a short list. Um, so anyway, this, the read-through was scheduled for like a Wednesday for the first three episodes, and they were starting production on the Monday, and they still hadn't cast her until 11 o'clock on the Tuesday night. Ouch. And they still had, like, so literally just, they were having rows all day, uh, well, for weeks. Yeah. And then it, it, the cast, so yeah, so they ended up, when, so 11 o'clock, she was still in Sweden. 
and then they had to get her on a plane into makeup. Like, so she was on the first flight over from Stockholm. She had to be in makeup at the BBC, um, so her dark hair could be turned blonde, so she could look a bit more English. Um, and we were scheduled for a 12 o'clock read through, and everyone was there. You know, like there were some big people, people have flown over from the States, and we got a phone call about half past 12 saying, her hair's still being dyed, and you know, like, and there were problems with that, and it got to about four o'clock, and people were still in the room, and the, you know, important people who had other things to do. Um, and the poor actress came in, and she, she was Swedish. I mean, it's a bit like, um, you know, they'd, they'd done some work with her for a, like a week before to try and give her an English accent. Um, I didn't realise she was Swedish. But I knew she wasn't. Yeah, but like, the, the, I, I mean, she, I think she had like English parents but had lived all their life yeah, yeah. in Sweden um, and you know it was a really good actor but she was nervous and her accent came out yeah. and so you saw I'm being really indiscreet here but um, you saw the, the lead writer every long speech she had the writer was going <laughs> all the way through just cutting all the lines um, and I just remember coming out of that they ended up just reading the one episode because everyone had to go home it's like getting quite late into the night and um, I remember coming out and, and calling my wife and saying, if, if I was the head of BBC drama, I would cut this now, you know, cut your losses, it's not going to work, it's not going to work with her, um, you know, and if they have to start on Monday, at least give yourself, a, buy yourself a bit of time to recast. Um, and that was everyone's expectation. And, um, and then, like, on the Monday side work, and she'd done some intensive work, yeah. and suddenly found an accent, and it all kind of worked, but that wasn't that show's problem. Right. Um, you know, it had many problems, I think. But, um, but she worked. But I've never been in a room where there's been such exquisite tension. Mm. You know, it's, it was people sweating. With, you know, and she. So you just got to hold your nerve. That's hold your nerve and hold her hand. So the producer, yeah. I looked at one point, and the producer, uh, she was shaking so much that the producer started holding her hand after about five minutes. And kept it there for the, the entirety yeah. of the read through, and um, but that eight or ten grown ups couldn't make a decision yeah. before. I mean, that's a that is the I think the hell of major yeah. co mm-hmm. productions and yeah, too many cooks. And often I think there is normally an ultimate that this happened. I think it's happening a lot with the showrunner situation mm-hmm. that the writer that there. But you had a lovely experience on the Roald Dahl. Which I keep, I, I can't say yeah. <laughs> tortoise backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Because all of a sudden, Dustin Hoffman materialized. Yes, because you yes. went, you were almost into production and you hadn't cast his character, his yes. role, and then you had to let it go. Was that correct? Um, yes, well, we stopped and started that show three times and right. we started it. And when I came on board, it was being shot here in Ireland. And I started to pull a team together here and. Um, you know, recce and mm. um, all the, the the usual, and then I got a, a call to say, Judy Dench has just said yes. I was going, oh my god, wow! I, I mean, we all talked about Judy Dench, but I thought there's no way she, she does a good it. Irish accent as well. Yes, she is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, um, uh, but I thought it'd be, you know, you know, you go into your, you go into a, a meeting and you have a kind of fantasy cast yeah, just yeah. to kind of give a, and Judy Dench was a fantasy, but I was thinking it'd be more Imelda Staunton and Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Um, because I knew you wanted short people and yeah, yeah. Um, 
and so it was oh and her conditions were um sleep um five day a week which was a great condition and um and also at sleep in her own bed at night to go home, right. so that meant we had to move to england which was fine and we were um uh yeah basically we're getting closer and closer to production so we had to hit um uh, uh, tx at christmas and we never found a male star we couldn't get a male star to match of the, her. that stature of that stature yeah right, somebody that would be yeah, yeah. be a mr hockey to mrs to mrs silver and so we on the eve of having to put a hundred thousand pounds sterling down in a deposit for a studio the producer finally finally i mean she had nerves of steel up until then the executive producer um just said pulled it so we 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 pulled and all went away and it's hillary bevan jones yes and i thought this will never be seen again and we had no star, you know, still had no match and kind of came together. But so I was going to a meeting to meet with Richard Curtis and um, and um, and Hillary. And I thought, OK, the idea I'm going to bring to the um, meeting is why don't we let Judy go mm. and cast younger? Because Judy is 79, yeah. which I didn't know. And that, you know, therefore, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, either the people coming up with were either too young or too gay or too but with just nobody that anybody was biting at and we'd already offered to Dustin Hoffman and he said no so I arrived at the meeting and that was going to be my you know an idea um, and uh, Hillary arrived out of breath and late going oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm late uh, I've just got an email Dustin Hoffman has said he'll do it and I went well, I put that <laughs> <in>. <laughs> wow brilliant and um, so Dustin said um Yes, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and um, and so we set up to go again and did rehearsal time. And then Dustin got sick and we had to delay by six weeks yeah. and checked with her. Could she, she had a knee operation six weeks later, so bring it forward. And then that was great. And, uh, but she then needed three months to recover and there was a big dance sequence at the end. So we couldn't thought so, okay that's probably so delayed by six months because marigold wedding was rest next in her queue because she just never stops working yeah. so then it was going six months and i was going oh my gosh will they stay will they stay alive mm -hmm. you know for not will they stay, will they stay? Yeah. <laughs> and um and anyhow we came back to we came back together again and um uh yeah they were amazing i mean it was an absolute yeah it's a an absolute gift but i mean ezio trot turned out to be kind of such a a complicated um film to make because of you know when i read it first i thought we'd shoot it all on location and um but it's upstairs and that's it's upstairs downstairs down, and yeah. um and dustin you said but he said oh they're giving you enough money to make this movie this is like a this is a this is an action film and um so um but the the ultimately the heart of the piece is this mm. you know the story between yeah. the two of them and they were obviously extraordinary so. yeah so um Malcolm, you were talking about, uh, sorry, I just lost, lost the thread there, but I'm going to have to invent a segue here because I've forgotten what okay, the link was. Right. Apologies. Um, I've not worked with Dustin Hoffman. No, no, was, <laughs> no, you were talking about the producer holding the actress's hand and being nervous. And I'm sure it may, be, have, may have been a moment for you, Derby, when you meet Judy Dent for the first time, or you meet, and the, 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 uh, the proposition of, working with these people but they yeah. get nervous as well of course. we've got to remind well, ourselves yeah i mean of course i was nervous mm. but everybody was so it's like my sister always says before i'm going to meet are you nervous i'm going to stop asking me that question i don't use those words before of yeah. course and yeah. um you know god you must be so nervous of working with um you know it's like oh my gosh if you focus on you know as i told you i've got kind of 
there's a devil on my shoulder all mm. the time telling me how rubbish I am. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that has to be, you know, you're Put trying away. to bash it um, um, away. And, um, and I suppose what I kept, I, I listened, watched everything and listened to them, listened mm. to them speak. I met an editor who'd worked with Dustin and said, oh my God, he's so difficult. I said, please, I don't want to know. Mm. I don't want to know anything about, I just, because I just want to form my relationship based on this script, on this story and this, um, and I really kept very clear to, um, you know, mm -hmm. focused on on that and didn't try and impress and entertain with, because it's when we went out to Dustin and um, to rehearse with Dustin, and um, and I do think yes, they were as nervous as of course they were. You know, um, actors, everybody's nervous. That's we're all it. nervous about about what we do. But when you sit around, uh, uh, when we sat around the table with Dustin in his office in LA, and there's there was quite a large table and Dustin sat here, I sat here, Hilary opposite him and Richard at the end. Now Richard Curtis is a, a brilliant speaker. I mean, I, you just... No, I saw him be a fan. You know, yeah, I, it, I'm actually, you know, he just, you know, they say that thing about Oxbridge and they just have the kind of charm and intelligence. Mm. I mean, there's times I wanted to kill him, but I would just watch him in a room and go, my God. Mm. Like we went into a big meeting in HBO and he and I had, had words in the car outside down in the park and then when we were up in reception he just was walking the opposite street. I'd said something about a note that I thought we really needed to take and he absolutely disagreed with it and up in the reception of HBO which is a huge glorious reception Hillary went to the loo and just Richard went that way and I was and I just said I'm not going to I've said what I think mm. this is what we should do we're about to be in HBO we're dependent on the money but he would not speak to me again until Hillary came back out and then we went up into this meeting and I just was blown away by how he was able to speak at the meeting, his charm, his and how, you know, and he stuck to his his guns in, in, in some way. But anyhow, at this meet that that um, sitting around with Dustin, I mean, Dustin loved him, and he's hugely entertaining and um, you know smart, and and Dustin cannot bear producers. He really loathes them film producers he really is you know it's all about the actor and, and, and the director and the writer and Hilary Bevan Jones is about one of the nicest yeah, women in the industry like mm. she is how she's a producer I don't know she's just she is just adorable and to watch Dustin never make eye contact treat her like she was a leper it was like I was going oh he actually at the end at the when he was at the very end of the rap party he actually no not at the rap it was at um at a, a press launch for the film, he actually paid tribute to her and said, yeah, because actually it was extraordinary to feel how loathsome he was of her and never to make eye contact. And then there's me who like, I mean, however nervous I was, he had to be more nervous because who the hell am I? Do you know? That's and it. he's doing You've a TV thing yeah. and, um, and he's never heard. And he had thought, you know, maybe Steven Spielberg would be good or Sam Mendes. He looks, he, you know, it was I, Richard wasn't doing it. So, um, you know, I, I had really, you know, there was a period that I wasn't going to be on mm. the, the, the gig until I said I'll go out and mm. pitch to him and if he still doesn't want to be. Um, so anyhow, he, so we start to read and a lot of actors don't like it, but he starts to read and after about, I don't know, nine pages or ten minutes, so I'm here listening to him, he's there in profile. So all his talk has really been to Richard, mm -hmm. so he's kind of blocked her. The it's not that he blocked me, or I certainly okay. didn't feel he was blocking me, but right. you know, he didn't know who the, f I mean, he'd watch yeah. myself, but he didn't know who the fuck, you mm -hmm. know, I, I was. And, um, and so after nine pages, he turned around and he said, so how am I doing? And I just 
you know, there's, there's, you know, Dustin looking down my, like we're literally discussing, eyes going, whatever comes out of my mouth now, yeah. it's just <laughs> going to be Life about comes down the most, like Dustin Hoffman's just turning and says, so how am I doing? And it was full of like, you haven't said anything, so I'm feeling nothing from you. And the thing was, I have just, the nine pages I read, I went, oh, fuck, this is terrible. I, in my head, I was going, as I had done with mm-hmm. Judy the first time she read it, because she read it and she sounded like um, um, Blue Peter, children's presenter. Because Richard's language can be a little, like, finding, um, yeah. you know, the, 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 the voice. So, uh, like, so that was, uh, like, because I'd driven away from Judy's house the day we sat in her amazing house, and I was going, oh, my God, it's Blue Peter. This is not going to work. These are very shallow characters that these actors aren't getting. And, you know, again, of course, this is their process. So, um, so Dustin, to me, had totally sounded like Rain Man. Oh my God! He just his approach, the way he read it was, and why, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't he? And then of course, you see, I mean, you see, Dustin. Everybody has their favorite film, so I'm going. But I absolutely was sure that Mr. Hoppy was chronically shy, but he was full of passion, but he was not in any ways autistic, or he wasn't incapable of Mm -hmm. communicating. And the only thing that ever stopped him being inarticulate was his love for her, and that's when he found the tortoise. So, so I'm going. Cannot and like how does how wha, how what's going to come out uh, of, of this and he's just looking and I'm like, mm. I said yeah no yeah good no I said well you know we we'll, we'll keep going another while I said I'll just say one thing and he's yeah and he said he's not depressed and he went he's not depressed he's not and I I I, I he always quotes it back to me as depressing or depressed, but I said depressed. depressed. And um and he was not depressed. He's not depressed. Okay. And so he goes and anyhow, we continue on. I cannot tell you how many times he quoted that back to me. Mm-hmm. The, I, it's just you know, during the she says, I always remember you said he's not depressed. You're so right. He's not depressed. Of course, he wasn't. Yeah. Depre- and and so he he <coughs> and we had a brilliant. I mean, of anybody I've worked with, you know, I mean, I just loved him because he loved directors. And luckily enough, he you know, I we got on great. And um, where Judy didn't need anything. She had maybe two questions, and you hoped to the right answer to one of them. And um, the uh, he had a million questions. And he just engaged all of the time. And then he'd say, I have a mil- have a million ideas. And what about, you know, and then, um, and uh, it kind of got to the point, Dustin, that's a great idea, but let's keep that to the sequel. And he, so, yeah. so um, it was, uh, and he called me up, the, I think the weekend before we, we, we started, and he said, because oh, uh, he was really struggling with, you know, the, and he was obsessed that it was British, you know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Hoppy had, was originally British and we made him American. Um, but that this was a great British gem, the doll, mm-hmm. and he was his nervousness of, of, of doing that. And he was just going, oh, Dervil, I don't have him. And I said, Dustin, you do have him. Don't forget, there's an element to Mr. Hoppy that nobody else can bring to it because you know what it feels like. Because yeah. Dustin is actually very, very, very shy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So anyhow, there's a million Dustin stories, but I'll, it was, mm. in, but, but there was, he would all of the time, he was so insecure. He was mm. just... Uh, do you so think nervous. for a second, I mean, you know, that and I don't mean this to criticize the man, but was he testing you at that moment? Because he knew maybe he knew the answer himself, yeah. and he was giving a dead reading because he wanted to test you. And if you're going to be honest, he says, "That's the director." Yeah, well, that, um, um, uh, yeah. And I again, mean, possibly, it's um, a moment where you're honest and say, <clears throat> "I mean, last night we were at a Q and A with Michael, Mike, yeah. um, 
Uppendale, isn't that how you pronounce his name? And he talked about working with John Voight. Yeah. And John Voight and Dustin Hoffman were great friends. They grew up together. And he told a story about John Voight yeah. saying that. And the way Michael told the story, and I never thought about it this way until I heard Michael's version of the story, where he says, you know, he would keep throwing ideas at Michael and go, no, no, that's not good. That's not, you know, quite. And, and Michael's interpretation of it, what, and then finally he hits and he said, that's a great idea. And his interpretation of the story was John Voight constantly testing me hmm. and then to see I had never thought about it like that until um, until he was because I Dustin did the exact same he was always throwing hmm. you know ideas and I suppose I wasn't cynical enough for I didn't let myself right. go there yeah. to kind of think he's testing me like there's a point at which you have to the insecurity is always but you just have to refocus the mm -hmm. and just I mean I'm just always honest with him and yeah. always and um, and I don't know, when he liked an idea, he would, Dustin would, would be on set, and the one thing, you know, you're, I remember a producer telling me very early on, going, never show an actor what to do, yeah. you know, never tell an actor, of course, and Dustin would come up and he'd say, you do it, and I went, Dustin, and he said, no, no, you do it, you know what you want, you know how you want it, just show me, you do it, I went, Dustin, I learned, I never show, no, 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 you know what you want, show me, so I would go, well, I think he comes in here, he does this, he does he does yeah and then maybe he sits here and of course i blocked the whole thing the night before this is ideally because the cameras and this is how i'm so and you know i have thought about mm -hmm. all of all of this and then maybe he you know does this and i don't know you, you anyhow whatever you think that there that's only a and he said that's really interesting what you did there i didn't think it maybe he does that and then he would always just do something incredibly special but i think he was so collaborative and yeah. he was and he and we did really he really enjoyed the working because you know kind of very bouncy about on set and he was playing and he, and he loves his he loves his work and and, and loves acting never left set yeah city pollock when he did tootsie with him said he would never work with him again right because he said it was so difficult but he said years later he understood it there's two things going on with dustin hoffman he's so nervous about because he's so talented and he knows how much is at stake that he will ask you a thousand questions give you a thousand mm -hmm. um, suggestions to work through to that point and yeah. if you're sensitive enough to understand that that's the actor's process yeah. you let him do it yeah, yeah. you don't and that's what Sidney Pollock didn't realise at, at the time I mean Tootsie's performance is fantastic yes, and I really, yeah, really enjoyed yeah, that movie yeah. and yeah. I know on Rain Man he made um, Barry Levinson uh, yeah reshoot the first oh, he couple did, yeah. of days and, and Barry Levinson in the, in the commentary director's commentary actually says very little about Dustin Hoffman and you know talks about how fabulous Tom Cruise was and um, I just had an amazing mm. time with him because he was all process and it was so lovely to yeah to 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 be engaged in that way and mm. like if he'd been like Judy it would have been quite a co I mean Judy was brilliant mm. but she just didn't need I mean the it, it, they were so so different mm. and 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 Judy was faultless all of the time mm. You know, sometimes I had to invent a note for right. her, and actually she would go, did I not do that? And she had fucking done it, but I'd invented wow. the note because I know, knew I needed yeah. another take for yeah. for another reason. Or I'd say to Judy, um, you know, you did that, because I could never give a performance. I mean, she was just always, mm. yeah, she she kind of broke your heart. So, I mean, I did, said sometimes, you know where you turned around, you did that there? And she would, oh, Tufla, I don't know what I did. Oh, no. And, and oh I have no idea please don't say and um, I says I'll just do something different uh, you know so that was Judy whereas Dustin was oh my god mm. just 
needed to be fed or enjoyed yeah. the feeding the process yeah. and, and never did the same thing twice and you know was like he would get tired and he was kind of annoying for her at times because he was always you know yeah. always did something changed the script in some way or did something with the prop he did whatever even to the tiniest thing where he every single thing he he, he made his in some way and I think it, it, it shows that we should never be afraid of writers. I mean, you're, you're sorry, not writers, no. <laughs> afraid of actors. I'm really scared. <laughs> no, because the thing is, you're saying, you know, uh, last night especially, Mike was saying that act, he comes from a theatrical background. Mm -hmm. And for a writer then to, as you said, with what Richard did, with workshopping it. Mm. And so you were working with the actors, but observing them. Was that, yeah. was that the yeah. idea? I mean, the intention was, so with that process, so I adapted the novel um, to the point where, you know, the director was happy. Lenny was really happy with it. Um, so you had a script. Sorry. You had a script. Yeah, yeah. There were three. Before Lenny came in, I mean. Oh no, no. So he he was on from literally me submitting my outline, um, and then we would talk about that and talk about how to reshape the structure and. Um, but we did it quite traditionally, but I think at every stage of the th maybe three drafts that we did, I did. Um, that it kept moving further and further away from the source novel, um, and there were, you know, there were political reasons for that, um, you know, and but there were also kind of it just made more sense to us that I mean, what what the no the difference, the big difference between the novel and the scripts um, is that the novel kind of multi characters mm. took place over six or seven years, um, and it had a narrator. Yeah. Um, where you know my first pitch was I just wanted to tell Richard's story, um, and I wanted to tell it over three months, um, and you know three months so that you know you probably do after you leave insert before you start college, mm. you know it's that kind of you know kind of really rich time of freedom and you can mm -hmm. just kind of be your better self, um, and and so so that you know in in terms of the you know the drafting you know we was, we stuck to that story. Um, but then I could see, even though I was doing what I thought was my best work, um, I could see Lenny was getting stuck. And you know, he's a guy who interrogates everything really, really closely. And um, you know, he also has several other projects. And I was like, mm, not sure he's going to go with this one ultimately. Um, but he was, he was getting stuck because even though he, you know, admired the words on the page and the way the characters were kind of talking to each other it just didn't have that ring of authenticity that he either remembered from banter as a kid or just what he was hearing around him and um, you know and I you know to research it I, I would sit in like I don't know if it's still there but like Starbucks in Black Rock for hours pretending to work but just listening to Black Rock college kids mm. um, you know and so I was getting you know I was getting the voices what I thought was down on the page but when it what he did, you know, I remember very clearly, he kind of, you know, we, we had a, a meeting and he said, I'm going to make this film. And I was like, oh, but I wasn't able to kind of like reveal that. I was like, oh, great, great. Lovely. And, um, and, and he said, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to cast it now because um, I want to work with some young people and I want you to be open about this and not be afraid of changing almost everything. Um, and, you know, and I was like, well, okay, I'm happy to do that you know just because one I knew probably deep down that it wasn't really working for him and he, you know he had to make the film and he'd come off the back of two 
great yeah. films, mm. I thought. So, you know, like he, it had to be up there. Um, and so, so his decision to kind of like, and it was all key on finding Richard because Richard was in every scene and he would drive it. And he was, you know, on the page, I think I captured him really well. Um, but until you found that kid who was quite hard to like, um, and at, you know, at times probably preferred his own company, and yet occasionally, you know, he could shine in groups as well. You know, it was like it's going to be really hard to find that kid, and if we don't find that kid, we won't do this. But um, it's like I think we'll find him. And then um, Louise Kiley, the casting uh, director, kind of went out and just we just trolled most of South Dublin um, or anyone you know who wanted to come and audition, pretty much audition for that film of a certain age. Um, but probably so you literally went to kids, not kids who were in actor school. No, I mean, I think she, <coughs> she did as well, yeah. but she, and she didn't do like street casting, although I thought maybe one day she might have gone out and just kind of grabbed some people, mm. but, um, but she went to kind of rugby clubs, youth clubs, mm-hmm. um, but it had to be a certain kind of flavour though, so it's like, yeah. you know, it was, it was kind of South County Dublin. Mm. So um, it's like the commitments, except the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But literally on day one, she she had Richard well you know like you know the, the guy uh, Jack Rayner had auditioned for her on a film called oh. Death of a Superhero oh. yeah right, and he'd done it he'd, he'd just done Dollhouse as well so you know he had worked mm. and it was like a ready-made movie star and you know like so when he came you know and actually it was quite quite cleverly Lenny I think Lenny knew from the start he was kind of up there and he was a bit like he was looking for anyone to kind of better him and nobody really did um, but very very soon I was like oh this is our guy and I started to kind of listen to him and observe him and you know and so you know in redrafts I was kind of, for my own redrafts I was kind of starting to you know work with the dialogue um, and then so they cast they cast him and about seven or eight others um, and then got the them into a room for two weeks and the idea you know we read my draft on day one um and it you know i was like oh that's pretty good for it because actually young you know young actors want to act i yeah. think as well as opposed to kind of the jaded older ones who feel like they're just reading the phone book mm. um and it's that gives you nothing as a writer it's, it's awful um and it's kind of it read really well and then we started talking about it and then we didn't stop talking about that world for about two weeks in which time I was kind of like, okay, we're not going to do any more. Nobody's going to be blocking anything here. And it just opened up a discussion, at which point I just got my notepad out and started writing down, you know, reconfiguring characters, um, you know, lines of dialogue. And so it became like a, you know, I kind of joked saying it was like a, I became like a glorified stenographer. But, you know, <laughs> what I then did was fed that back into yeah. the existing structure. Mm. Um, and, you know, very close to the time, you know, actors were having to pull out because they were starting to get work. And, you know, like these young people were getting work because they knew, people knew that Lenny had them, you know, so, like, they were having to make decisions between, like, going to the Lear or doing this mm. or, um, you know, taking a job in the UK and, you know. So, you know, it was then, like, again, recalibrating characters just, but oftentimes it was just, it was because you'd see somebody in a room and you go, okay, I'm going to get your voice. Right. And so I was, I was doing a lot of that, um, which... Which I think kind of lent its its kind of air of truth. It was. I mean, we were saying earlier, but the, the, the level of naturalism in the performances yeah. it was just stunning, mm. you know. And to the point that I mean, I always remember the opening line of the movie: 
Jack is in the car, someone speeds past and he says, someone's looking for trouble. Yeah. And it's a throwaway line. It's something that, and then when you go back and look at the movie again, it's right there from the start. Yeah. You're weaving it in. You know, and that's what I just thought was one of the beautiful things about the movie. And I wish when I did you, when did you think, <laughs> When did you think of the title? When did it change oh, title? Oh, God, the title was like like years it's right. ages and in fact it was there's a process from I'm sure filmmakers saying you know when you have to kind of put put your application in for is it I don't know if it's the BAI funding mm. um, you have to have a title for your project and it was that day Lenny was like we haven't got one how about what Richard did and I was like oh that's awful it sounds like the, the time there's a reality show in the UK about Jordan you know the glamour model <laughs> called what Katie did and I was just like it's what Katie did who gives a, who gives a fuck and um but actually, you know, I, you know, it, it suggested some awful titles, and I hope you don't mind me telling. But you know, you had to suggest some more. But that one, I was like, mm, okay. Mm, mm, mm. What were the awful ones? Oh God! <laughs> um, I, do you know what? I've got a notebook somewhere with all literally a notebook of titles. There were that many. There was um, one of them was athlete. Um, the other one was it was going to be called animal until very very late. You know, late, and then it was kind of changed to. Yeah. Uh, what Richard did, but just just it was Black Rock for a while because it was like working title Black Rock, yeah. um, and and yeah, so I he, I think he, but it worked. It but really worked. No, I mean, it, it literally. Gonna, I it mean, settled down to his patient. He's going to do something, you know. Just so keep watching yeah. through all this, you know, lack of story. And, yeah. You know. And then but it's like a verb when you say it worked. It functions. Yeah. I mean, it really it calibrates the movie before it begins. You see the title, you say okay, and then you come away from the movie and go okay. <laughs> You know, it fits together. I think it's yeah. a remarkable piece. But you know, I should say, I mean, the what he was allowed during that time was rehearsal time with the actors, mm. and um, you know, and I was, I mean, I was really, really fortunate on that. In that, you know, I went, I was, you know, able to kind of work with him from the very start, and sit in on auditions, and he got me to the rehearsals, so I was there mm. always. Um, and you know things were changing all the time yeah. you know so like even scenes that we loved were changing 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 and um you know and, and then actors would come in and go I mean, especially jack who was a good improviser you know he'd kind of go oh, I know, i'm like i'm struggling with this one can i try something else and then he'd give you something and then you go yes of course you can try that you know <laughs> um and there was there were key scenes in that film where actually in the script it says um you know actors to I don't know if it's quite actors to improvise, but actors will discuss a subject, it will be about this, um, and we'll hit these notes. Mm. Um, because there was, you know, we knew there were going to be difficult. There was one scene where um, the Richard character is late at night and he's kind of talking about, um, you know, everyone at the back after they've been to the pub, and it's just kind of quite loose chat among men, and they talk about DMCs, deep and meaningful conversations. And it was just him holding thought, uh, and um, and it just I I started right. I tried writing it a million times, and it just didn't feel loose enough, and um, and I kind of meant I, I kind of said in the rehearsals I, I'm not going to be able to give you this. Um, is there any way we can just get them to do it? And then he's like, Yeah, cool. We'll just block off three hours of that day, and we'll just have we'll find it, you know. And um, but what we did was we. There was the improv, improv was so rehearsed, mm. it was unbelievable. Like, you know, we'd heard Jack, I was like, Can you do okay? If that's gonna be the case, can you tell that story that you've told me a, f a few times? Um, 
because that's what I want to hear from your character at this stage. So that's what was happening. Mm. Um, but you know, on set, you know, Lenny is a big believer in the script is never finished. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, on set, if, a, if an actor, you know, was kind of, you know, mucking around, farting around and said something, he was like, okay, try that. You know, and, um, you know, there was one scene where two actors were um, just, you know, they, they were chatting away and he, he was like this, get the camera on them. Because they could hear everything they were saying. And um, so they started rolling and that was the scene that ended up in the film, you know. And it had the same essence of what, yeah. you know, I'd written, but it was different. And it's like you're saying about Philippa Gregory, you're, when she asked you to look at those 20 pages and you're distilling it down to yeah. one side, you got the essence of yeah. it. That was the thing. Yeah. We open the floor now, ask people for questions. I have a question. Just characters, and if you're, how do you go about developing characters from, like, some people say you should psychoanalyze, and some people want to write 26 pages of what they eat for breakfast, what they wipe their arse with, etc. Like, how deep do you go into your characters, and do you rather bring your mate, do you rather some of your own? Something that happened in your childhood yeah. that you might, like, as a teenager, be there, etc. I mean, I don't, I don't go deep enough. Um, you know, I wish, I wish I had both the time to have do the thinking on it and the discipline to be able to do you know certain exercises. I'm not, I do, um, but you know I might allow myself. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I might do something like put finding the character's name is always really helpful to me. Um, it's like naming a kid. You kind of you know who they are from the start, and and then I might just kind of do lines up and give them kind of traits. Um, but then you that, that feels quite. Um, formulaic and I kind of feel like I don't know who they are and it's it's only really I suppose when you you start lending kind of um, bits of yourself to it or people you know like and you know it, it starts to kind of feel a bit real but I mean I, I I'm, I'm very critical of my my characters because that I don't do the work on them and I kind of feel that you know it's only when I really 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 do that they they feel truthful to me, but then I also know that, and this isn't me being lazy, but I know that when you cast somebody and you get it right, they work with what you've given them, and then they just kind of inhabit it, mm. and that, and I, I think that's something I've learned, and so I don't, you know, you can make somebody very, very contradictory and complex on the page, and that might not read, um, and so, you know, I often find I'm kind of writing types, you know, and it's, it's a shorthand of a person, but it reads better, if you know what I mean. And, um, and often have you had the experience of, because, yeah, the process of it, like a, a good actor is, you know, yeah. some actors in the, you know, need to write the books and books of backstory that is their process, you mm -hmm. know, that the writer yeah. hasn't put their, you know, or doesn't need to know, or is it, you know, so whatever the actor needs to bring that, that person to, to life. But certainly I would have experienced where a writer will totally change direction or fall in love with what he sees an actor doing with their character that might have started off quite a, you know, a, an own shameless Marty was only supposed to be there for one episode, yeah. Marty and his mother, and, you know, they ended up becoming, um, you know, there for... So, so it is interesting to watch. I mean, I, have you had that experience yeah. of just falling... Yeah, I mean, I mean, probably on what Richard did, you know, we kind of... Yes, a, of course, yeah. You know, there was a young... Young, young lad came in and he auditioned for 
it was kind of hilarious now, but like, you know, he was 14 and he auditioned, everyone was doing the same scene and he was playing Richard against Lara, the girl. And, um, and he was just very confident and he was kind of a Gonzaga kid and he was very uh, pretty, but it just didn't feel real at all. But he was, he was giving it a really good go. And Lenny kind of fell in love with him. And he's like, we, let's just bring him in to the room because he's, he's going to raise everybody's acting levels massively because he's a great actor. Um, and he's a good storyteller, so that was what we kind of, that flowed. But then, after a little while, I was like, can we not, can we give him a story, or can we characterise him and give him a story? So he became the kind of the young blonde lad who kind of looked up to Richard yeah. in the film. Um, but it's only because I just kind of thought, oh, this guy's, you can't waste him, you know, he's amazing, you know, so you just find story. Anybody else? I was going to ask about method, you know, what Richard did in a certain approach and you were talking earlier on about the habits that you have do you do you each project in a different way as you approach it like do you always outline you go through certain phases or if there are things you just go and you just jump into draft this and vomit it out as you talked about earlier on um, no I mean I'm, I'm quite strict in that I'll do kind of outline scene by scene and then go to script and I'll, I mean, I'll say to producers as well don't let me go to script until um, it's much harder to fix the script that's wrong than to, you know, to fix an outline. Although it can be, you know, at the moment I'm doing uh, a BBC show where I think I've done 15 outlines, you know, and you do, every time you, you kind of hit reboot, you kind of, you know, it's that deep breath and it's like, can I do this, you know, can I, and you, you know, cause you're not, it's this funny document, an outline, you know, cause it has to tell the story, but not too much of the story. You don't want to give too much away because you kind of want to hold a little bit back so this, the script impresses. But you have to kind of forget that because it, it also has to do other things. Mm. And you'd, so I, d I do, I'm quite strict in that I do that because if the story works, especially in telly, um, if the story works, then you will do less drafts of the script. Um, mm. Problem is you don't get paid that much for writing outlines. So um, I've got my agent to kind of write it in that I will only do an outline if they pay me my script fee. Because so you, you do all the work. And yet, um, again, my experience with Paul Abish is he could not write yeah. an outline. Yeah. He he literally could just write character. He would say that he didn't write story even, or, or structure. He would sit down and he would start... Um, I, I mean, my favourite episode was in episode four in series two. It's the episode where Steve leaves. Yeah. And uh, so it was incredibly personal to him. It was the one he couldn't mm. finish. And... Um, but he just literally sits down and is writing character. And this person says that, and as a result, the other person says that. Just like when you walk into a room mm. and, hi, how are you? You know, so he's, it's that organic and he's in the moment of, which is amazing. Yeah. And that's great because, I mean, one director I always loved watching and listening to was Mike Nichols. And he kept on going back to character as plot. Yeah, yeah, that's what we called it's all character, no thought, all character. Character, and yeah. you know, he was talking at the time when he would he would ha have meetings with with executive producers at the studio, and they said, you know, he says they would say, give him a notice. Does Lady Macbeth really have to be so nasty? Can we not make her likeness? Well, yes, because character is plot, and we're telling stories here. You know, so it just bringing it back to that essence. But there's another great quote we were talking about Billy Wilder earlier, and mm. Billy Wilder's great quote was 90% story is 90% architecture and 10% texture. Can you talk us about the 10% texture? You know, you were talking about mood and yeah. colour well, and, you know, use of locations and, and costume and that sort of thing. Well, I mean, the texture is all the 
somebody once had I was in a book club and I well, there was this script that I was developing for a film and um, it was my turn to choose the um, book. the book so what I did it had been an adaptation of a book and it was a script we you know done quite a bit of work on and and um, wasn't getting where, where it should be but I gave them the screenplay to read and so that everybody in the group yeah. nobody had read a screenplay before and they were just kind of traumatized after reading it and going oh my god it was just not that the story was awful. They didn't <laughs> the, have to read it. The, yeah, but they just said it's like looking at a tree in winter and you just see a <laughs> trunk. Yeah. And you know, there was a really interesting response for somebody in the book club, like none of the foliage is there. And see, so you, all you're given is this basic information. Mm. So what they missed was, you know, in the novel where all the, you know, um, so I suppose in the 10% texture, yes, it's all about, um, yeah, how you, you know, interpret it, obviously, kind of location, lighting, design, you know, the marriage, I think, of design and, and, and photography and mm -hmm. just that kind of, you know, finding references, getting more and more familiar with the story, looking at how location will, yeah. will um, I suppose inspire we also, an approach. We also have to know how to read a script. I mean, can you remember when you first read a script? The very, very first time you ever encountered a script. It was just like those people in your book club. Yeah, it would have been really, really strange. I mean, very interesting because I learned a lot about the the nuts and bolts of making drama, working in Irish language drama, <laughs> yeah. and 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 I wasn't understanding fully what the characters were saying. You know, I wasn't. Yeah. A, I'm not a fluent speaker. I was yeah. an even third speaker. I was working with a, um, with you know, they were Irish language, but I was working with this with this woman who really wrote really unique characters and um um and really interesting situations and m i specifically wanted to make drama or interpret or tell the story in a way for an audience that um didn't understand irish yeah. so that you know we, we were for young audience so that when they flicked through the channels and i mean God, so much has changed since ages ago now but um that there was something about it that they stayed yeah, on this cool. so instead of the diddly eyes so so and and so so there was a very strong look there was a very strong visual approach mm. it was very signatured it was very um it was very fresh it was very pretentious it was very you know it was um but it was all the tools that's kind yeah, of yeah. All, all all the texture putting the texture up front mm -hmm. because for me what the characters were literally saying wasn't bothering me too much like <laughs> as long as i had the sense of it yeah, you yeah. know it was yeah. and because i wasn't a fluent speaker um you know, I wanted people to watch it and understand yeah. and get, get it. Now we subtitled it, and mm -hmm. um, uh, and then you know I learned a lot doing that about the, you know the, the, the you know the, the, the artifice of it and, 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 and employing the different tools and the, the pleasure of that and and then after a period of time I stopped doing that because what was happening was I was developing bad habits and yeah, it was yeah. all about the look and because I didn't understand i wasn't understanding the nuances of mm -hmm. what they were of what they were saying so um i then made a conscious decision to stop doing irish language right. drama even though it was kind of the most interesting it's kind of opportunity, you know, uh, opportunity yeah. but I, I would say kind of i really learned an awful lot in that and then threw it all away mm. and worked on on, on english like when i finally got an opportunity to work yeah. in english language and really concentrated then and kind of you know all the clues of you know how they're making the interaction and subtext and 
and and yeah, and, you know, you know, Paul's script landing mm. on, on on your lap. So, um, I mean, I totally love the collaboration mm. of making. I mean, that for me, I don't know how writers do it. I mean, I despise development. Uh, where everything that you say needs to have some value and whereas you know the relationship with your DOP and um, your designer with the actors I mean it is it is absolutely utterly joyful mm. to be able to constantly you know uh, analyze and just break down a script and, and, and rebuild it again and keep finding new things and then to be in the edit suite and still discover things that you know you know that even when you were shooting it, mm -hmm. I mean that the joy that the storytelling never ever never ever yes. stops, and that you move from having a love affair with your DOP to your actor to your to your editor, yes. and you're just like the greatest slut in town, just moving your love about <laughs> about the place, and, yeah. and you know can't imagine ever sleeping with somebody um, else again, and the intensity of that, and that when you're all telling the same story, story you're all heading the same direction, that there is no fear, mm. do you know? And, and yeah. I think that that is. Um, you know it's so important about in the same way that you cast and you you know you know casting your actors you casting your team your crew your your yeah. dop your you know that collaboration is um is it's so um exquisite i mm -hmm. think when it's when it's working and so often if it's if it's not um but but you know uh, 95 percent of the time um it is and and then i mean i think there's nothing like like directing to kind of get in touch with your humility and your how inadequate you are because you are constantly seeing how it can be done better yeah. and it's very difficult I think in the edit at times you know to listen to some notes you know and to hear some notes and go that is such a load of horse shit and that is like they obviously don't get it or mm. and be really because you, you are absolutely but to realize you know to be able to kind of Pause, mm. you know, let, I mean, I think the editors are amazing like that. They go, why don't you go for a cup of coffee or why don't you? And again, it was something I learned from Paul Abbott. Never, ever, you know, without exception to listen to a note, to even to, to look at it in some way in the, even no matter what you think of it, to look at it because um, it can, the Do problem is never there. It's, it, it's yeah. somewhere else. And, um, you know, Paul Abbott was somebody in an edit suite who, you know, said I'm not understanding this I'm not understanding that and uh, why don't you have that and I said Paul that is a brilliant idea but you didn't write that scene and like I could remember the conversations with him in prep where he's going you know Paul this bit isn't this isn't making sense and he was going oh didn't I I thought I wrote I said no remember but that we did oh uh, he has a great ability to totally forget what um, and in the edit suite um, and then he said well you know what if you do that and you know they're sitting on the sofa and, and you know he comes into the room and then he says that and she says that and that would make that plot point um clearer and i said that is a great idea but those two actors weren't in the scene so you know that's and he's got, there was a scene shot in episode two where you know um uh, the father comes through the door i mean just kind of crazy stuff that you're you're kind of in one way you're um vanity shouldn't allow you to even look because it's you know from another scene or and anyhow, he went, he left, and I turned around to my editor and I said, that is the craziest, there's just absolutely no way that's going to work, mm. you know, and, um, and I said, you know, let's just do it, look at it, just to prove, you know, that it's just the, the great Paul Abish's, he finally, I found his fault. And actually, you know, so we recut the scene, used, used characters mm. from another scene, 
in another yeah. episode Brilliant. in a different location had them come in put some ADR on the little and we both sat back and it was about nine o'clock on a Friday evening in Soho in a basement edit suite and just went my good god it fucking works and, and and you know so i mean amazing of him to keep you know you know keep pushing the right and then also to not let your vanity get in the way because it does get in the way because we want to you know be right be, be right and be yeah. great and to go actually that is mm. i mean i think we're talking about this outside in one shot scenes and you know things that you are crystal clear your vision as a director and just mm. sometimes you know, the, it's not the vision, but the, you know, the collaboration yeah. or the process of it yeah. is, it brings it. And I absolutely love that organic sense of the, you know, when, when, you know, that everybody's still about the story, it's not about their opinion being right, which is obviously the executive producer issue with the casting, yeah. you know, the, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, so. But it's also the continuity. I mean, Malcolm, you were saying earlier that, you know, you write it, you've got a certain draft and then you go into production and then editing is still another draft yeah. of, the, of the script you're finding it you don't need lines but then as you said i mean that's i've never heard the ability of a person to sort of bring somebody in from another scene and yeah, yeah, i mean that's incredible. an absolute stunner and then i mean in the edit constantly losing losing, losing dialogue yeah. losing you know going into a scene later coming out of it yeah. earlier looking at your looking at your um your your cups and going what's happening there 18 minutes needs to be happening at nine minutes you just like the rhythm of mm. a the rhythm of a piece um so and also you know when you're on set shooting the scene the scene gets slower and slower because you're discovering stuff and you added more but also you unconsciously you know the performances are getting slower because you've given notes and the camera's doing this and just kind of turning around and checking with the script supervisor how, how long did we yeah. was the same two minutes 30 how long is it four tens of what you know? yeah and then it's kind of let's do and i think that's that maybe uh the thing about television um because it's we were talking about last night with mike and he was saying you know um, american horror story doesn't have to be a certain length mm-hmm. but if your show has to be a certain length it maintains the discipline of keep it going i don't know who said it but somebody said that um if they were to shoot if they were to remake casablanca today the movie would be three hours long because everyone would have paused between here's looking at you kid mm-hmm. you know it's just everything would have slowed down so the, the discipline of keeping it under the clock is, is really mm-hmm. and that's what Lenny does I mean he's just got a phenomenal sense of timing yeah and you know I joke with him a lot about the fact that he should never make a film over 90 minutes but um, I'm letting a secret out here but it, I think his next film is going to be a little bit longer <laughs> but like, I, I just think all films are perfect at 90 minutes yeah you know? um and you know his films are very lean, yeah. and you know there's nothing in there that's that's flabby at all. I think, um, you know, and they all seem to come in at around about eighty-five minutes or so. So I'll be interested to see how his, you know, nearly two-hour film will retain that kind of sense. You know, of kind of, you know, maybe the story. You know, the story, story is bigger. Yeah, yeah. The story, and then just eats it all up. Yeah. Um, but no, it is is. When you when you work with somebody who who just understands, you know, the the entire process from both working, you know, with a writer on the set, in the edit, mm. and just you know has a, you know kind of almost a complete picture of it. I'm not saying he always did, because um, he was still finding things, but he there were certainly decisions he was making that there was definite, mm. um, and you know it's just it's nice being with somebody who's in control. Um, yeah. 
you know, you're, you're very, um, you're just very sure that what you're going to do is going to work. Mm. And I'd, I'd never had any doubts, apart from that time I thought the title was shit, you know. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think the animal would have worked, do you? No, definitely animal. Um, I mean, I think it, just a, a thing, and maybe it comes back to how you started about honesty. I think, again, as a, as, as a director, and I'm sure it must be as a writer as, as well, but the million decisions you have to make and, you know, about going this way, that way. And again, I think somebody asked Michael last, last night about him being wrong. Actually, I think I asked him that. About <laughs> um, but about trusting your gut. You know, you yeah. can have all of the knowledge, you can have done all of the prep, you know exactly what you want, everybody in the schedule, but just that thing of what your gut tells you, tells you mm. as well. That, and I think that's the wonderful thing that's so different between people because we all have similar, you, you know, um, knowledge of our craft. And, and mm. But what makes one different to them is your sensibility, which yeah. I think is just... You know, it's, a, it's ephemeral, you can't yeah. you know, define what that is, your sensibility as a you know, writer or, or, or director and then when you're watching something, what's a good take or what is just your gut or if you have it or you know it's um, and also or turning, Dustin turning around and saying what's, you know, you, you yeah. know the, the political answer versus the gut. Or well the, the gut, I think the gut, so yeah, uh, sorry just we've got it short, the gut works is the one, is the answer really. Well you hope it works. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to wrap it up, yeah, folks. Sorry, sorry, I ran on far too long. So, look, uh, thank you to STGI and thank you to Malcolm and Derbla, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Had a good time. And, and can I just say, because we we're saying how your mum was born here, and Birch said about, um, Birch was saying about feeling the synergy in the room. The last time I was in this room was 30 years ago. Um, because it was where in college when the country bus arrived up from college and we all got off at O'Connell Street everybody on a Sunday evening would meet up here in the Palace Bar so in terms of the energy in the room I have fallen down in this room a lot so it's so nice I'm just going to stand up and make sure that I can walk out with both feet that's great thank you very much thank you